Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 25. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Hi everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, As I said before, welcome if you're here for the first time. I'm really looking forward to this passage. It's the centre of the whole Bible is what often people have said about it and we're going to get into it. So a couple things to let you know. Um, It'd be really good if you had an outline. I'll tell you why. If you haven't got one, there's some just up there where the Bibles are. What I've done this week, you might be thinking I've lost the plot because my outline's about a hundred times bigger than it normally is. What I wanted to do um, is give you a really kind of detailed summary of the talk so you can really reflect on it during the week and consider it. And I would love you to think, what is it I understand about it? What is it I don't understand about it? And come back to me and talk to me about it. And I really wanted to give you something to lay that out in front of you. So um, hopefully as we go through, um, it'll, it'll make sense to you and you'll see um, why I've done that. Uh, so that's, that's uh, on the out, in the outline there for you. Um, and also... Um, what we're going to do today is, um, I'll have the words up on the screen um, from the Bible passages, but um, it's helpful to have the Bible in front of you as well um, as, as we go through it. Uh, now, uh, let me pray, and then it's going to get into this just absolutely glorious passage that is Romans 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, that you... Uh, we've already considered today in song and with the kids and uh, in, in, in other ways that you give us life. Today, we're getting to the very heart of how you do that. And so to help us to see it clearly, to wrestle with it and even come to faith in it. Amen. All right. Uh, I realise I left the clicker somewhere, Johan, so you're up. Congratulations. Now, um, I've got a question for you and I want you to put up your hand. Put up your hand if you would like justice to happen in the world. Oh, not many people want justice. Okay, there they are. Does anyone not want justice to happen? Let me put it that way. I thought so. Does anyone want, would like mercy to happen? Does anyone think that mercy is a good thing and we should have mercy? Kind of, does anyone think we shouldn't have mercy? Crush him. Steamer. All right. The trainee needs some training. Um, <laughs> um, no. We want mercy. We want mercy, particularly if it's directed towards us, right? But we are desperate as a society for justice. But the problem is, how can you have both? 
Which one do you want? Now, now, you got, now you have to put your hand up to one or the other. Who? You can't have both. You can only have one. Who chooses justice? Put up your hand if you choose justice. Okay, put up your hand if you choose mercy. A lot more mercy than justice. But here's the problem. If we just go with justice, we don't consider... Uh, how, peop- how, how it's affecting people and, and, and providing a way for them and to help them uh, once they've asked for forgiveness. There's no, there's no sense of forgiveness. We just, we just um, uh, if we go for justice, there's no sense of considering that. So, for example, mandatory sentencing, whatever you think of it, that is just pure justice at its core. This happens, therefore, under no considerations are we going to consider the situation, there is this punishment for that, it is justice, raw and simple. There's no consideration for what the circumstances. But what if you thought about the person who had done something wrong and you just decided, we don't have justice, we just have mercy? Then you don't have, what about the victims? And we know only too well when mercy has been poorly applied without justice, particularly in areas where people have been mistreated, in sexual abuse, horrendously, in child abuse, where perpetrators have been given mercy, unmerited mercy, with no justice. And we cry out against that, it's disastrous. But as humans, we kind of want justice and we kind of want mercy. How do they come together? And I wanted to start today by to giving you that tension, to get you thinking about where are justice and mercy? Can they come together? So if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be renewed and see with greater clarity today how it's at the cross of Christ where justice and mercy come together. If you're not sure where you are with God or you're wrestling with and you've got questions, what I'd love you to see today is how God is saying, I bring justice and I'm offering mercy to you as well. So let's get into it. Um, I have the outline there open with me as we go through it. And uh, I've got there the argument so far. So um, without going into all the details, we spent the last two weeks from chapter 1 verse 18 all the way to chapter 3 verse 20, basically establishing that the writer Paul was saying every single human has a massive problem between them and God. And he started it off with the wrath of God is being revealed on all people in chapter 1, verse 18. And that was the framework of everything, that humanity has a massive problem. The problem is God is righteous, perfectly good and holy. Humanity is unrighteous. We put it up on the screen there. I think we've got it up on the screen there. Uh, Johan, we can see... Is it up? Oh, so I go to the image for us. Yeah, there. Um, God is righteous. Humanity is unrighteous. That is the problem. You see, the summary, if you just, sorry, go back a, go back a, a slide to the verse that we're looking at today. In verse 23, the summary is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as we see there on one side, God is righteous. Humanity is not righteous. 
I'd love to spend time making the case of that argument again, but we've done that. You can listen to the talks online, you can just see it in 118 to 3.20 how big a point was made. The conclusion is, humanity is facing God's wrath and will meet God's justice. But as we also established, the Bible constantly talks about all the time that God is merciful and slow to anger. But humanity is facing God's wrath. How does this work? Is there a solution? And that's what I want us to wrestle with today. I may have gone over the top a bit today by trying to give images to be helpful, but we'll see how we go. What I've done is I want to establish what's going on in this passage today. If you can't see that, uh, hopefully you can. We are unrighteous, God, uh, God is righteous. How can we be righteous? This is how God sees us, either unrighteous or righteous. But how can we be when we know we're sinners? The passage that we have for us today tells us how we can go from there to there. And that's what justify means. And what's the word I made up? Righteousification. Because we don't have a word for righteous, so we use justify, right? Justifies is God saying we are righteous. How does this happen? How could you and I possibly be right with God? You know you're not right with God. You're not perfect. You're not holy no matter how good a person you are. How can God possibly make this work? And that is what we're going to do in our passage today. That's what we're going to see. That's why this is the centre of the whole Bible. And we'll get back to this a little bit later. Because in this passage, as you can see in the outline, the question is in point two, how can God justify us? How can God righteousify us? How can God declare that we are okay with him when we have lived a life of not being like that? in the outline just to be clear because um, there's lots of big words in this passage but when you've got big words if you just explain them they make sense and they're no longer big words that we think oh I can't understand anymore justification simply means being legally declared right and so this is God legally declaring us right but he can't do that if we're sinful so how does it happen well there's four points to make that I'm going to Um, go through fairly quickly and then we're going to sit in digging deeper into how it happens. See, firstly, point A, it can't be by the stuff that you do and not by the law is the way that Paul says it when he was talking to the the Jews to help them understand. So, So look at verse 21 there up on the screen. You see it there. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. You see, it's apart from the law. What he's saying to the Jews who have been given by God his great Old Testament laws and the Torah through Moses, this is how you live with me, all the ceremonial stuff you have to do, all the sacrifices and all the rules, you know, Ten Commandments and further on, all of that gave them a sense of arrogance and pride and they're okay with God. And what Paul is saying to them is that, no, 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 what you do will not make you right with God. At no point can you think you do something, God's going to go, yeah, that's good enough. Because he's so holy. But the law actually testifies to, you see it there um, in the verse, it actually testifies to God's righteousness, which we won't go into detail today, but the law, God's good law, points to how what we see today 
actually does bring us righteousness. So if you want to summarize that down, you cannot do anything to go from here to here. You just, you just, it's not going to be good enough. You can have a crack if you want, but God's point is, it's going to fail. Okay? That was his first point. So then he said, well, what's the source then? What's the source of your becoming righteous? I'll have a look at the verse on the screen now. In verse 24, after the establishment of all have sinned, after you've all sinned, all are justified freely by His grace. The, the source of you being right with God is not you, we just established that, so it must be who? God. God's grace is that He does it. That's what grace is, getting something you don't deserve, which we talk about all the time, don't we? Any nodding for that? Yeah, we do? Good, yeah, it's good, I hope so. Um, God giving something we don't deserve. And so, Paul's point is, not by the works of the law, you can't do anything, God does it all and he does it when you don't deserve it, so it's grace. That's the source of how God makes you right. It's completely mind-blowing to the way any other religion works. It doesn't come from you. So, if this is from God, this bit here, what's the basis of it? What's the basis of our being, uh, being declared right by God if He does it? Have a look at verses 24 and 25 there on the screen. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. The source, God does it, and what does he do? Jesus dying on the cross. The cross of Christ alone, not just God generally, is how he makes you right. How he could possibly say, you, who have spent your life rejecting him, can be right with him. And it's spectacular. But does does this then therefore mean, great, every single person will be okay because they don't do it, God does it, so no one's, it's all fine. No, no. There is a condition. There is a qualification. How do you receive this? Have a look at the means for how you and I can possibly receive uh, this righteousness. Um, In the next uh, slide, we see, as it comes up, He kind of bookends it. In verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. And then down in verse um, 25, uh, God presented... God Go back to the other slide, that's fine. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. That is, you trust in what Jesus has done. That's what it is. God has done it all. Your faith isn't your brilliant works, it's just you seeing it and going, yep, that's what I'm going to spend my life trusting in because that's what saves me. And that ultimately is where we end today and what the offer is for everyone. 
Do you believe that Jesus has done this? And then you just trust in it. It's spectacular in, in its simplicity. God does it all. It's his grace. That's the source. What does he do? Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us and rises again. How do you receive that? By trusting in it. That is a beautiful picture of how God can possibly say we are right with him. But now we get to what I think is the fun bit, but where we want to put our thinking caps on. How does this basis work? How does the cross justify us? What does it actually do? And that's what I want us to look into a little bit deeper uh, right now. So I even put um, the, the, the verse 24 um, and 25 in the outline there for you and you see that all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. And this may be where you've just tuned out and gone, well, hang on, that was a little bit too much for me, I'm out. And I want to bring you back in to see how glorious this is. And these words can simply be understood. The first way that Jesus on the cross does actually make us righteous is through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Now, we've talked about redemption before, but did you know that in the ancient world, redemption was a very well-known word because often people ended up being slaves and needed to be redeemed. Um, And sometimes it was because of war and and crime and things, but sometimes it was just because there was no economic system and so they got into financial strife and what they had to do is they had to sell themselves to someone to survive and that was part of the system that they had. And slavery wasn't just how we would think of it uh, today, uh, you know, the horrendous slave trading and all of that. It was part of the system in which they would have certain rights within there, but they didn't own themselves anymore. Someone owned them. But in this ancient world, you, you could have someone, if they could afford to pay you, pay for you to be um, taken out of that slavery, they could. Um, if you had a rich relative come and, and uh, pay the, the price and buy you out of it, they could take it to the priests and all of a sudden the pagan priests and you could be redeemed out of your slavery and you could own yourself again. So redemption is quite simply being pulled out of slavery to being bought back out. It's a liberation that happens because a price has been paid. The ransom that we talk about in Mark 10.45, the ransom, Jesus being a ransom for sin, that is what's happening. I wonder if you know where in the Bible for the, uh, redemption's first brought up. One of the biggest stories in the Old Testament, one of the most important stories. I've already mentioned his name, but the key player other than God in the story. Does anyone know where redemption's first mentioned? The Exodus. The story of God's people being in slavery to Egypt and then through that amazing uh, events that happen, they get redeemed, they get pulled out of slavery and they go through the, the sea and they get freedom. That is redemption. Jesus 
pays a price for us and redeems us. But you know, in that story, before that happened and we went through all the plague cycle that we talked about, remember the final one where all the firstborns were killed? Why weren't the Israelite firstborns killed? It was because the blood of an animal uh, was, was painted on the doorposts and so they were passed over. And Jesus is the one who pulls us out of slavery and through his sacrifice, we are passed, uh, our sin is passed over. And so there is great liberation from our sin at the cross. But that, that's still not satisfactory. That doesn't tell us enough of what Jesus has done in how it works. So let's pull it down even deeper and I got Emily to help me because many of you mock my drawings so I've got her to do three drawings because I figured the best way to try and help you understand is by giving some pictures. So this is what Jesus actually does. Let me pull them out here. The first one, oh, the first one we have sin and that's a rug. So what's happening there? You've got sin and then a rug on top of it. What's going on there, I wonder? Second one, we've got, there was a movie being shown, it was called Sin, but it's now been cancelled. And then, now shown, yep, you can tell I didn't draw these, right? Because they're good. And then the last one is, you've got Emoji God. <laughs> Hey, clearly I didn't do it. Um, yeah. Anger towards happy, favourable. What's going on in these three illustrations? Because what's the next thing that we have in this verse? In your Bibles, it would say sacrifice of atonement. Or, and I've, I've added the word propitiation that we'll, that we'll get to. What do you think these three things are saying? What's this one saying? Anyone want to have a crack? What, what's Jesus done at the cross with sin? Covered it. He's covered sin. It's been dealt with. He's covered it. This one's pretty obvious, right? This is the most obvious one. What's happening here with sin? What's, what's Jesus done at the cross at the atonement? He's cancelled it out. It, it, it's, it's done. It's dealt with. Okay? Sin is dealt with. But here's the thing. This is the important one. What's happening in this one? Anyone want to say? Have a crack? Thank you, Alex. God's wrath has been turned away the cross. How spectacular is that? See, what actually is happening is God has made it possible by dealing with our sin on Jesus that he actually now looks on us favourably. All of these things happen at the cross. That is what Jesus has done by dying in our place. That is spectacular. But in this passage today, the central idea, the main idea, as I put this, as I put this over here, the main idea is the last one. And that's why we've got a brand new fancy word. Has anyone ever heard of propitiation before other than if you've heard it in church context before? Has anyone ever heard that word before? A couple of us. It's not a word we use anymore. And I really like um, 
John Carson's arguing for this word and when he said, a lot of our Bibles say sacrifice of atonement or mercy seat or expiation or something like that and, and, and then some say what the word actually is, propitiation. The reality is, they're all kind of complex, they all need explaining, so why don't we just use the one that's most accurate? And that's propitiation. See, the way it reads is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. It's a sacrifice of atonement. It is Jesus dying in our place, covering our sins, but he does that in that sacrifice by dealing with his wrath towards us. You see, if we were Jews, if we were Jews who lived before the cross, we would know that built into our system was animal sacrifice. That was a way of representing how you got right with God. Animals poured out their blood so that your blood didn't need to be spilt. If we went to Leviticus chapter 16, part of the law included sacrifices and Leviticus 16 talks about the Day of Atonement where the people's sins have been covered, have been cancelled because a goat has been sacrificed. What word do we get because that goat's been taken in our place today that we still use? Scapegoat. The goat was sacrificed in their place so that sins are covered over and cancelled. That is what Jesus did. And that scapegoat, though, it's unsatisfactory, isn't it? Because we're humans, it's a goat. It doesn't really work. It's our crimes, not the animals' crimes. We still die. It has to be done over and over again. There's lots of reasons why, and the book of Hebrews tells us that. It doesn't work. But, this sacrifice of atonement at its core is dealing with God's wrath. Propitiation is a big fancy word with a very easy meaning. It simply means, as Alex helpfully said to us, God's wrath is turned away. It's moving from anger to looking favourably on. It's, in many ways, this is as clear as what you need. Anger to being favourable. It's that simple. And God is rightly angry with our sin. We've established that. It's what the theme of Romans is driving towards. The wrath of God's being revealed. Here's the solution to the wrath of God. Jesus takes the penalty for us. He now propitiates his wrath. He looks on you and he thinks favourably. Just let that sit with you for a moment. The God of the universe looks at you favourably with no anger or animosity despite what you've done and he's done that because of the cross of Jesus propitiation is glorious and we need to hold on to it I, I could go into great detail and why that word's not always there and it's gone out of favour but I won't bore you if you want to know that I'll get excited to talk to you about it but I want you to hold on to that belief that God is having his wrath turned away so he can look favourably on us. The wrath of God is mentioned about 600 times in the Bible. We can't deny it. 
We are, he's holy, we're rebellious. They don't equal like righteousness and unrighteousness. But what's bigger than the wrath of God? What is his overarching character? It's not wrath, it's love. He loves us. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that he can deal with his wrath and give us life and look favorably on us. God's wrath is set aside by his own death. See, my, I hope you understand that, those concepts there. Maybe for the first time wrestle with it, I'd love you to talk to me about it if you're still confused because I think it's so great and so important. What's at stake? Well, I think it's the little comic strip I brought up the other week when we were talking about sin. It's got the Calvin and Hobbes, here it is. There's Calvin with his dad, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? <laughs> Pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a classic um, idea. And what Calvin's wanting, he's just wanting this one. Just cancel the sin, dad. Don't worry. Look, and he wants his dad to go, it's all right, Calvin, you're fine. I never had a problem with you. It's cancelled. Now, it can be cancelled, but I'm pretty sure, and I've read lots of the comics of Calvin and Hobbes, he gets pretty angry with Calvin. And any parent doesn't say, oh, it's just a sin, I'm not angry at you at all. When you have hurt someone you love, it's personal. God loves, he made us in his image. He loves us profoundly. There is a personal element to it. We can't separate it as if it's just a, we just need to concentrate on the object of sin. It's personal, but he deals with it. Wrath has to be put aside. You know, uh, many of you know that we've used over our three years the Bible Project a lot. That's not a surprise to anyone who's come regularly. All their great videos. Um, We're doing Daniel later on in the year and their summary of Daniel is fantastic. Their videos are brilliant. But we even did the Bible in a year with them last year. But if you went through and watched all their videos, you read, you watch their one on Romans, wrath is missing. And I think that's a massive problem. That we don't see that God does propitiate his wrath. It's glorious that he does that. And then lastly, see, God demonstrates judgment. Have a look at the verse on the screen. It comes up, up there. In verse 25, after he propitiates uh, uh, through the shedding of his blood, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. That's, that's justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, what does the cross do? It shows, if I was to just kind of paraphrase what he's saying there, it shows that God still is just and the fact that God has left so many unjust things um, happen for a long time, all through the Old Testament, throughout history, God is just because he has dealt with them at the cross. It demonstrates his justice while still bringing in mercy. It's where justice and mercy meet. You see, why doesn't God just forgive my sins as I started at the beginning? Why can't he just do that if he wants to? Well, 
But if Hitler goes up to God and says, just forgive me, don't worry about it, nothing needs to be done, just forgive me, God. That's, God would, God would be completely unjust. I would suggest wicked. If he just said to Hitler, yeah, sure, no worries, it's all good. Why doesn't he just bring justice then? Because he wants you and I, through faith, to receive his mercy. And if he just swiftly brought justice, where's the mercy for you and I? Justice and mercy come together at the cross. So as we finish... I hope you see today that all of this here is how God actually does justify us. He declares us right because Jesus dealt with our sin, turned his anger away, and we trust in that we become righteous. That is what it is. And so as we conclude today, firstly, I want you to see you are no different to anyone else. You respond to this through trusting in it. By faith. You may never have had this concept in your mind. You maybe have so many questions and thinking, there's so much of that I don't understand, but what I do get you saying is that Jesus has died for me, I need him to die for me, and it means I can be right with God. Then if you trust in it, you are. And you can do that today. Because as we establish, the source is God, not you. You know... Uh, one of my favourite TV shows, um, I really hope one day they make more, is Sherlock. Is it, any others see Sherlock? Like, like um, Benedict Cumberbatch? It's kind of done well for him, that show. But in the last season, sorry to give it away if you haven't watched it, but in the last season, Watson's wife dies. The reason she dies in the second episode? Because she jumps in front of a bullet to save Sherlock. Watson is just in a mess. He blames Sherlock. Sherlock blames himself. And at the end of the second episode, they come back together after such angst and kind of hatred towards each other or shame from Sherlock, hatred by Watson. What happens? Watson says to Sherlock, you didn't kill Mary. Mary just died saving your life. It was her choice. No one made her do it. No one could ever make her do anything. But the point is, you did not kill her. And then Sherlock said, in response, with tears in his eyes, in saving my life, she conferred a value on it. It is a currency I do not know how to spend. Brothers and sisters, Jesus put a huge value on your life. But the currency isn't yours to spend. He did it. He died in your place because he values you so much. And he just wants you to receive it. You can do that today. 
You can wrestle with it more if you don't understand. You can read the Bible with someone. You can, if you've got someone who you think would love to do it, invite them to read the, the Bible with you in the Word one-to-one booklets who are, which are very helpful. But see the value that Jesus puts on your life. Secondly, the centre of Christianity needs to stay in the centre. Every church, to truly honour and bring glory to God, needs to keep the cross of Christ at the centre. Not just have it around, not just have that he's a sacrifice for us, it is at the absolute centre and forefront of any church that wants to bring glory to God. That is how you assess. That is how you, when you come to Grove, that is what you pray that we will always be like. That is what you want to make sure that I am in leading you, that our ministry team, our leadership team, that, every, that we have the cross of Christ and is an atoning sacrifice for us at the very heart of who we are. That is our prayer. And then lastly, this side of the cross Work out your freedom. You're free from your old life. Justice and mercy have come together. You have a complete new identity. You don't realise how much value you have and Jesus is saying, I value your life more than anything you can imagine. Work out your freedom now in that. You are free from the slavery to sin. We spend our life now thinking about how we're different how we don't want to be slaves to sin, how we don't want to actually do what God doesn't want to do and your struggles, the ones that you really struggle to get rid of, you are free from that. You can wrestle with that for the rest of your life, this side of heaven, but you know that you are free from it. And in God's grace, sometimes you can be completely free from it. But the reason we can work that out now is because in the end, We're not longing for everything to be fixed up this side of heaven. We look to eternity. We look to eternity where we are with God and his people forever, where you and I, by the grace of God, are righteous, sinless, in perfect relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. How glorious is the centre of Christianity. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for how spectacular it is that we can really get into the depths of what Jesus has done on the cross. We pray that we'll respond in faith. Amen.